everybody waking up one day and being like, oh, Miranda's actually an untalented piece of shit and we didn't realize it. Now no one has to love her. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Hilsenbrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the field of print media and multiples. Hello, print friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. Currently offering possibly the best thing to happen to relief printmaking, their Woodzilla Presses. Beautifully made in the Netherlands, these uniquely engineered presses perfectly combine superior craftsmanship and performance at a price that makes them accessible whether you're a seasoned printmaking pro or new to the craft. Available across five sizes, each Woodzilla press is precisely manufactured from heavy-duty steel and designed to apply uniform pressure without undue work or stress for the artist while still guaranteeing a beautifully printed result at every reveal. Check out these beauties through the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of paper Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. Welcome to a very special episode of Hello Print Friend. In celebration of our 200th release on the English Language Channel, my co-host Ronaldo and I sat down for a chat about the past, present, and future of our podcast, how I got into this business in the first place, my worst fears, and fondest dreams. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get meta with Ronaldo and Miranda. Hello, Miranda Metcalf. How are you doing? Hello, Ronaldo. <laughs> so natural, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just kind of weird to be on this side too, like looking at the numbers and stuff. Totally, yeah. You're getting the uh, the interviewee's perspective mm-hmm. of the ZenCaster Studio. So, yeah, that's great. How are you doing today? How's it I'm, going in Santa Fe? It's going really well. I'm coming up on the last two weeks of Santa Fe, so it's a little bittersweet. It's a beautiful place to live, and we've met some really great people here, but it's too fucking expensive. I'm moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so great. I mean, it's just amazing to see, like, your journey. I mean, you're having in so many different countries, moving around to so many different cultures. But one thing that continues to be constant is that connection to printmaking. Yeah. yeah. And it just always makes me wonder, like, how do you fall in love with this media? You know, you're going to be moving across the country now to a different setting. Yeah. And that constant is going to still be there. So I'm just really wondering, like, how, how do you fall in love with this process? Yeah, like the beginning of our love story with <laughs> yeah. printmaking. Okay, <laughs> printmaking and I. So I did my undergrad in philosophy, and I focused on philosophy of art. And I graduated with my bachelor's in philosophy in 2008, otherwise known as the most recent financial crisis unless you count this financial crisis that we're currently in. (laughs) And it was really, it it, it wasn't easy to get a job. I was working at a Barnes and Noble and I really wanted to work in the books. And then they learned I could talk to people and they made me do the cafe, the Starbucks inside the Barnes and Noble, which is really terrible because then you're working for Barnes and Noble but you have to make coffee for people and you don't get any of the benefits that you get as a Starbucks employee. Jeez. (laughs) And people were always complaining about the quality of the coffee, which was really funny too, because you're like, you're at a Starbucks in a Barnes and Noble in a strip mall. Like this (laughs) is like a you problem. But so I, I 
really knew I wanted to go back to graduate school. And it was something that I'd thought of before, but I just sort of fallen into philosophy because I just loved all the classes. I didn't really think about my future or what I was going to do with it. And so knowing that I'd loved studying the art, I decided to be an art historian and knew that that came with, you can work at a museum, you can work at an auction house, you can work at a gallery, you can be a researcher. It actually had jobs, jobby jobs on the other side of it. And I knew nothing about art history though. I think I had taken just a handful of art history classes. So I wrote a really looking back, I think sort of unhinged application for graduate school <laughs> because I didn't know how I didn't know the language of art history and so I applied a bunch of places and I was lucky enough that I got in at the University of Arizona working with Dr. Pia Cunio and I knew I wanted to study animals and art and that was what my whole application had been about not really understanding that that's not how you actually apply for an art history degree you don't say, I like animals. I like art. I'm going to make them kiss. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to say, I'm interested in 16th century Dutch, or I want to write about Christo's running fence. You know, you, you talk more about time period or artists or styles. But luckily, Pia saw something in my application that she liked, and she invited me to come study with her. And she was of expert in 16th century horses and their imagery, but also prints. And so I showed up in graduate school really not knowing anything about printmaking. I was really in the theory and the philosophy, not in the making, not in the technical side of things in any way. And so I started taking these courses from her, reading the works that she assigned, being in her graduate seminars, which were very print-focused. And that's really when, as from a historical point of view, that world opened up to me. And I saw that the capacity for the multiple, how it had fundamentally changed the way people communicate, how Martin Luther translates the Bible into the common tongue. It nearly brings down the institution of the Catholic church, which had, which had been untouchable for over a millennia. You get standardization of medical textbooks. You get porn for the first time. Because think about it, you could pass around a naughty drawing, or maybe if you were really rich and eccentric, you could commission a, an oil of people humping. But like, you can get erotic imagery that is small, you can fold up as my wonderful professor Pia Cunio once iconically said, you can hold it in one hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you get this, this whole world that's these seeds of our contemporary life, the seeds of what we now see in the internet age, of information being spread around quickly, of propaganda being spread quickly, of erotic imagery being spread quickly, of people being able to share ideas and, and sometimes revolutionary ideas just in an unprecedented way. And so that history and that connection to our human story and our human experience was really how I fell in love with that medium. And wrote a thesis on Peter Bruegel's Seven Deadly Sins. And from there, really just was really fortunate that I was in a right place, right time, where I got hired as the director of contemporary printmaking at Davidson Galleries and actually got to continue in printmaking in a professional capacity as a non-printmaker, which is – that's a very small amount of jobs in the world that you can do that with – and then just was just like, just to hook it to my vein. I want it mm -hmm. straight <laughs> like from there. Yeah. Uh, what is fascinating about that is you didn't, you say that you didn't know how to apply, but mm -hmm. you basically did it. Now you have a podcast. You created this thing. We're celebrating 200 episodes. Yeah. That's what we're recording right now. <laughs> 
do you have any experience with this media, with radio, speaking to people, mm. like somehow trying to make those connections with makers in order to bring those stories out and get those nuggets of knowledge before starting this thing? And how did you like got into like creating yeah, this it's, I feel like it's kind of twofold. One is... As my husband will tell you, I have the capacity to talk to anyone and he loves it. He's like, I get in an Uber. I don't got to do shit. My wife's going to be leaned forward in her seat getting the guy's life story. And and so I've always had the gift of gab, but also I think a really genuine interest in other people that is just innate, I think. That's not something you can necessarily fake, but I – I I find people fascinating. What's that '70s song that's that I always connect with? It's like I I could be in love with anyone. I think people are the greatest. Anyway, it's in like Wes Anderson movies, and I I always listen to that. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like I I have always just been like, yes, another human maybe I just have always felt like an alien myself and like, I don't know how to do things. And so I'm really hoping that they can tell me I'm like, yes, this Albanian Uber driver, like he's going to, he has the secret. I'm going to just like drill him for it. But so there was that. And then the other side of it is that I always loved radio. I grew up on NPR. I grew up on this American life and radio lab and these really sort of podcast proto podcast seeds that were in the world. And it, it continues to this day. I actually was in Marfa, Texas this last weekend, and I saw the Marfa public radio station, and I was there on a Saturday, and I made Tim pull over, and I went to the door, and it was locked, and I was literally, like, trying to break in. I was, like, rattling the handle. <laughs> this, this guy comes out, and he's like, can I help you? And I was like, I love public radio. What? <laughs> And it turned, he was the station manager and he was super nice and he let me in and he showed me all the stuff and, and I bought a Marfa public radio mug, but I just have always had this passion for the intimacy of storytelling in a, in an audio format. And I think that comes from the aforementioned, my interest in other people. And then also my real want for human connection. That's something that is really deep within me that I want to feel connected to other people. And I think there's something specific about audio formats where you're not seeing someone, you're not distracted by what they look like. Have they brushed their hair that day? You're just hearing their voice. And a lot of times it's listened to through headphones. So it feels really present and like you're connecting with someone very genuinely. And I think the format itself also leads to more vulnerability on the mm-hmm. account of the person being interviewed because they know they're not going to be seen. And it's part of the reason why I've never really wanted to transition our podcast into a YouTube podcast because there's a those are great. Like a lot of people do them. But I think there's a safety in knowing that you don't have to worry about how you're looking right now. It it frees up a lot of processing power in the brain to be more insightful and vulnerable. And I love this idea of expanding into documentary shorts. You've done that incredible series where you travel around the country and talk to people. That's wonderful. And I'm so grateful that that's a part of our, our media empire. But I think that the podcast should stay just that intimacy, and then we can expand in these other ways of visual storytelling. But they're really apples and oranges to me. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense too. And also, there is a possibility for editing, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that gives another opportunity to people to really express what they want, have also a chance to like reinterpret maybe something that they wanted to say, so it can be as clear has their vision is and they can be as comfortable as they can. Yeah. No, it's mm-hmm. such a good point. Cause that's the number one thing I get asked. And I imagine you do too, when we're mm-hmm. doing the pre podcast interview work, 
people come with these big eyes and they say, is it going to be edited? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do not worry. Exactly. We're going to make you look good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about editors. We should do a shout out to Timothy Pauschek. Tim really is the unsung hero, the little man behind the curtain. Maybe I should edit that out. That doesn't sound too... <laughs> complimentary but you know in the sense that he's he's mr wizard in that i came with really wanting to do this but i didn't know any of the sound engineering stuff i didn't really know about editing and so he found all the technology that makes the podcast go that really both of us still use to this day so there truly would not be a hello print friend without tim Wow, that's amazing. So you had this idea, you wanted to make this connection with people, you wanted to do it kind of like in a radio formatting. But I mean, like it was the support of team that somehow make you crafted into what it is right now, or what it was in that moment called Pine Copper Lime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was him, not only technical support, but also I'm not a printmaker. That's the the open secret of, of hello print friend. And so he was able to say, this is what I would want to hear. And he was able to say, this is who I want to hear from and really gave that perspective that I think immensely increased the quality, particularly in the early days before I'd found any footing of what the podcast is, who we're talking to, what kind of questions are we asking? He was really pivotal in forming all of that structure that now we stand on. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So this was back in 2018. Mm-hmm. And you started, where were you located in that time? I was in Sydney, Australia. You were in Sydney, Australia. Uh-huh. And this, I mean, I'm assuming that you were doing that at your house. Yeah. So at the time, we had just landed recently. So we were staying with Tim's graduate advisor and his family. They were really generous and they opened up our their house they said hey you're gonna land here just just stay with us in, until you sort of find your footing because it it's a big move and so I think the very first episodes I recorded in the basement of this beautiful house that they have out in Hornsby Heights which is a, a very northern suburban city in Sydney and I had just a little ears and mic set up for the the headphones that it was like pre ear pods even i think so it was that that really original apple technology thing what is the, what were those called just headphones i guess i don't yeah. know just headphones with a mic and i was terrified and i only recorded episodes that were like 20 minutes long because i thought no one would want to hear printmakers talk for longer than that Mm-hmm. Not because I'm anything against printmakers, but just I think because I just didn't have that confidence. I was like, well, whatever I make is going to be totally shit, so it should be short. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it anyway. I did it anyway. I did it anyway. Yeah. yeah. So how was, I mean, like thinking about the Miranda in 2018 in this basement in Sydney, Australia, trying to do these conversations for 20 minutes, being really nervous. And now the Miranda, the has just completed 200 episodes, mm-hmm. right? Like, what do you think you will tell your younger version of yourself, like about like all those, all those fears at the beginning and mm-hmm. where you're standing right now? Yeah, I think I would say fucking chill, girl. <laughs> 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 because I was so stuck in this loop of perfectionism that led to being terrified to do it. I thought I could never say an um. I thought everything had to be edited perfectly. If there was any background noise in any interview, it could not use it. Just, just I, <laughs> I always think about, do you ever listen to Garbage in the, in the 90s, the band Garbage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I th- always think about this interview with Shirley Manson, the the lead singer where she talks about the early days of garbage. And she says, she's Scottish. And she was like, my sphincter was so tight. Like that's like, <laughs> I just her Shirley saying that pops into my head. When I think about the early days of the podcast, mm-hmm. I just 
was trying to control every single element of it. And I thought that no one would listen to it unless it fit my ideal of perfection. And it caused a lot of undue stress. And I think ironically, in the end, not as good of a product because I wasn't relaxed. I wasn't really being myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even use sort of a normal voice because I was so, I don't know what I'm doing, talking into a microphone. And and you know, I'm sure Tim and I even had arguments about it where he would do the editing and I'd be like, it's not perfect enough. And so apologies, Tim. So I think <laughs> that I would just say, and this goes true, I think, for any creative undertaking that you don't know what it's going to be. So don't come to it with this per- this idea of perfection. Come to it intentionally, but be open to let it unfold. And that includes messiness and mistakes and all kinds of things that mm-hmm. make it more real and make it more genuine. Like like a recent episode I released with Chema Scandal, right when he said hello, he, he dropped something and we both sort of started laughing because he was in the middle of moving and it was just, he was already kind of in this chaos. And I think originally I would have been like, oh, we have to start over. It needs to be perfect. But instead I left it in and it's it's the most charming beginning to any episode because it's so real and it's so human and you can hear both of us just laughing at the chaos of trying to do anything in this world Mm -hmm. and I think coming to understand that it's the the cracks are where the light gets in yeah I totally agree with you and I feel the I mean do you feel the same that I feel the the more that I do it the less that I edit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and I'll listen through the podcast and I'll edit something if it really is I have to go pee or the doorbell rings or, you know, these really things that would sort of interrupt the flow. But for the most part, I would rather have my own trying to figure something out in real time be there on the tape than have it seem artificial for sure yeah Mm -hmm. i totally agree with you so in this i mean because it's amazing right like to think how we create all these barriers to do the things that we want to do because we have these expectations personally but also we project those insecurities into others like oh they're not going to listen to this because this is not perfect and creates all that extra stress. But in all that journey that you have so far, can you tell us a little bit about, or maybe one particular conversation that you had that somehow made you believe that this is amazing? What I'm doing is somehow, this is exactly what I was expecting, or it goes beyond my expectations, and I'm kind of like really seeing the, the how impactful this product is. Yeah, I, I I mean there's been there's been a lot in 200 episodes. You know, there's there's been there's been a lot and a few come to mind. Honestly, the first episode and not because of any of my tight sphincter perfectionism, <laughs> but because I was lucky enough to interview Woon Jin Ho, who's just one of the most incredible humans. And she was really generous. And the way she told her story, which was so open and intelligent and meaningful of her work and her experience with her father going for a jog one day and truly just tripping and breaking his neck and becoming paralyzed from the neck down and how this affected her and the way she made her work and how she created these images that she could bring to him in the long-term care facility that he was in to have something to talk about that transcended 
the circumstances that he was in because prior to that he had been a bodybuilder he had been someone who was hugely active and not that one paralysis is more tragic than another in any way but but more sort of he was really changed the way he lived really dramatically and and that way that her life intersected with her art and her art intersected with her life was incredible to hear. And she was, again, just so open and honest and wonderful about sharing it. I think that that made me believe that what I was doing could have a lot of substance to it. And it was going to transcend. So what's your favorite Buren, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's just going to be fun conversations too, but... So there, there is there is that one, and then I think maybe in, in a similar vein, a, a bit later on, Lisette Chavez, and how she trusted me in the very early days of grief after suddenly losing her husband, and how her work had always had an element of examining death, of death's presence in our life, of how we process it, how we process our own inevitable mortality and how she felt like that work had kind of been preparing her in a way for this sudden loss of, of, of her life partner at the time. And so I think in terms of ones that really stick out in the context of your question, I think it's ones where we're talking about printmaking, we're talking about making, we're talking about art, but in a way it transcends into how do we how do we grapple with the impossibility of being a human that feels things and loves things and loves people and that's what I've never understood. That's <laughs> so when I say like I feel like I'm an alien, I think it comes back to that as I've just as 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 a little kid when i find when i learned about war and the holocaust and that everyone's going to die and that corporations are people in the united states i just was like surely not like surely that's not how this actually worked because how could we ever live how could we ever go on with these ideas and and so i've i've been really fortunate in that Every conversation I've had, I've I've found meaning and insight and people have been so wonderful. But some of the ones that really get into my personal problem of not knowing how to be a person, those are the ones that I really, I think, return to w- when, when you ask a question like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so beautiful, though. And it also speaks of the capacity that you have to make the human connection with the guests. So they feel so comfortable with you that they can be vulnerable and they can express these experiences Mm -hmm. that somehow later on communicate or influence their work Mm. um i feel that that's one of my favorite things of the podcast too like we can talk about technique we can talk about secrets of the craft but there is always this human connection towards how we translate our own experiences and our struggles into the material world and then we expose ourselves into putting that piece in front of others to create that dialogue. I also love like how many times you get to know the kind of like the mental toughness and the sense of resilience that all these individuals have within mm-hmm. their restrictions or within their realities. Mm-hmm. Um, they always find a way to like keep pushing and create. Uh, so, so yeah, so I feel that those are. Yeah. Beautiful things that you have shared for sure. Yeah. What about you? Do you have particular episodes for you that were sort of formative and what you you wanted your side of the podcast to be? Um, yeah, I mean definitely speaking to Masad, who is someone mm. who I admire so much. And I feel that the podcast have allowed me to create a bridge between myself and the people who I look up the people who is doing the things that I wish I could do, the people who Mm -hmm. inspire my work. So um, it's always great to hear a little bit more the stories beyond the 
iconography that they make, the struggles that they make, like how some of them deal with drug addiction, with addiction in general, right? Like with mental health, depression, loss of someone. And then somehow art has been able to to communicate or reinforce that idea of loving life and continue pushing forward. And not only just in the making, but also how they create human connections with other in order to develop these communities that mm-hmm. support themselves so they can be proactive members of their space and create these changes in others and also fit themselves into into growing. Mm. I, I found that so beautiful. I feel that every time that I have a conversation, somehow I just get that reinforcement of there is something more beyond just making the work, selling the work, and just getting the recognition. It's about the connection, the love between people, and that sense of like sharing. And being not just being vulnerable, but also being someone who is open to share, to give, because the more that you give, the more that you receive. So, yeah. so those have been, those are, I mean, I cannot point out like specific ones, but I just feel that every time that I have a conversation that it, gets. It reminds me. me of a very famous Gabor Mate quote he wrote in the realm of hungry ghosts, which was one of the first, or at least in my understanding of this literature, one of the first and really influential ideas to look at books that looked at addiction as a social problem. And he wrote, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And so to speak to the people that you've interviewed who've done that, I mean, it sounds like that, how you can go from that sort of particular hell on earth to connection, to community, to being of service to fellow humans through art. That's that's a good shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in that, um, just following up with this, what do you think the podcast means to you mm. now that you have so many different experiences? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, I mean, it. it is a job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get paid that much for it, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's the worst paying job I've ever had. No, um, <laughs> so I, I, I think what I mean by that is I do, despite the fact I think of relaxing a bit around the, the product and relaxing into letting it manifest in what it needs to be, I do take it really seriously as a professional undertaking. And and that having the podcast come out Tuesday morning. That's when just like that's when it comes out. And and following up with that and having my intro and outro be professional sounding, understandable, have the levels be consistent, all of that kind of stuff I, I do really take seriously and 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 through a professional lens. And I think about as my aforementioned obsession with This American Life, an interview with Ira Glass where he said, my job is to make good tape. That's my only job. And it was answered in response to someone saying how, Ira, we hear you on one side of the mic so often doing these interviews, we don't actually get to know about you. So when we do get these little slices of your life, it's so intriguing. Do you think about how and when you release that information? And he just said, my job is to make good tape. So he will do it in in the service of making good tape. And that's really a lodestar for me in it as well, is that is that I am here to make good tape. It's not tape anymore, but you know, it's tape. So <laughs> I think that that's part of it is that a very professional side of things. And then also in a more emotional side of things, it, it means to me the depths of generosity that exists in our community that 200 people and then some, and then 80 plus people in your episodes have said, 
I will give you my most precious unrenewable resource, which is my time. And I will sit down with you and I will tell you my story and I will be open with you. It's astounding to me. It it really is. It's it's something you can look at, I think, on those gray days and and be sort of in awe of that there's this insane wealth of wonderful people in printmaking. We're almost at 300 episodes combined. And I feel like I'm not running out of people <laughs> to talk to. So it's that is means to me in an emotional sense a great deal that anyone wants to show up to my party. <laughs> exactly. And they're happy to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you get uh, people excited, sending you exciting messages every time that you reach out to them? Like, oh my gosh. Like, this sometimes, awesome. yeah. Sometimes people say, oh my gosh, I've, I've been a listener for so long and this is so nerve wracking, but wonderful to get your message. And, and sometimes people just don't reply. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get those too, right? They say, oh, yeah, really interested, and then they don't show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's the whole spectrum, but it it mm. really is always an honor when somebody says that they've they've listened and mm-hmm. or they say at a conference, oh, I drove out here and I listened to your podcasts for eight hours on the way over. Wow. And I'm always like, that's a lot of me. You just heard a lot of me. I am sorry. <laughs> hey, but it was good tape. Yeah, you it know? was about the good tape. It was about the exactly. good tape. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, do you feel that somehow your life has changed? I mean, the way the people see you? Yeah, I it's, I've been in a a weird place sometimes of realizing that I'm talking to someone who has heard me talk for hours that I've never met before. And that's, again, not to, not to reference something else to explain my emotional state, but there's a, if you've seen the, the meme that's that's Neo waking up in the in the goop. Yeah. And it'll say, No, like put me back. I just paid off my student loans or something like that. Well, there was one that said, No, put me back. I was a niche internet celebrity. <laughs> 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 and and so it's 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 a it's a wonderful and curious thing to realize that you're making something that means a lot to people. But that also is a relatively small group of people. Printmaking is always going to be a little bit niche. I'm not running a podcast about a ketogenic diet. Like the the, the spread, mm-hmm. like the, the reach is always going to be niche, and and I love that. I mean, well, I would love everyone to love printmaking. You know, I don't. I guess what I mean is I don't feel the need to to have millions and millions and millions of downloads. But it's. It, it's it's a it's something I'm kind of getting used to by by realizing that it's an odd social moment when you meet someone who already knows a lot about you because a lot of what you say when you meet someone is the knowing about you. So what do you do? Because you can't say, "Oh, I'm Miranda. I live in Santa Fe. I'm a podcaster. My business is printmaking." This this is not that is already known. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's definitely changed. Where I have to I have to sort out what that looks like. And, 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 you know, the answer to that is, is asking them about themselves, their selves, because Mm -hmm. because that's a, something I'm genuinely interested in, but B in a way, almost the only way the conversation can go sometimes. So I, I think that that is there. And, and I think another way it's changed my life, which I have really encouraged students to look after and, and try and figure out for themselves is that, I have something that is entirely mine. I can switch jobs. I can switch continents. And it continues to be something that I create in the world that I don't have to answer to anyone for. And that is precious. 
and unusual. And so I've when I've given talks to students, I'll often encourage them to find something like that. And sometimes that's their art practice. Sometimes that is what an art practice is. But as long as you have anything that is not reliant on anyone else, that's a really affirming and wonderful thing to have in your life. Oh, that's beautiful. So inspired right now. <laughs> Seriously. But I, I mean, but you're talking about like all these different positive, right? Like of the, the whole process. I mean, the human touch, the emotion, how much you have grown as a pre-influencer in the community, <laughs> right? Yeah. But what about the struggles? Like what are mm. what have been some of the major struggles or challenges that you had through this journey? Yeah. I think that I kind of in in tandem with perfectionism, there's definitely workaholism. They tend to go hand in hand and they tend to be personality defects that the world rewards and that you get affirmation for, but your personal relationships suffer for them. And so there were times when I was working four jobs, essentially, if you counted the podcast. And I was so focused on doing so well at each one, including the podcast, that I think it really negatively impacted my friendships and my marriage. And letting people in your life, the humans in your life, know that they are actually more important to you than your work is incredibly important and not something that I was really good at doing. And I think the podcast didn't cause that, but it brought out an inherent defect in my character, which is to do that. And so I didn't I used to think that maybe on my deathbed, I would look up and be like, I wish I worked more, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't think that that's true. And, and I think that what you do hear from people who have spent time in spaces of people who are in the end of their life or getting towards the end of their life, the number one thing that people come back to is how well did I love and how well was I loved? And that that's what they make meaning for their weird time in these flesh sacks we all have to wear. And so I think having a job, which was this podcast that there were no set hours and there was no point at which your work was done. You can always research more on someone. You can always edit it more. You can always research more guests. There's no end point. I think that negatively affected personal relationships. Not so much anymore, luckily, because I've become aware of these things. But yeah, I think those were some of the the hard moments was when it was seeping into my personal life in negative ways that I didn't even really realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you. And sometimes it makes me wonder is the sense of trying to do more is to satisfy yourself or or satisfy other or is this idea too of that you have this sense of what success is. Mm. And you always feel that you can always squeeze a little bit more water of that towel. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So do you feel that your your sense of success has changed or what that means to you in the last three yeah, or four years? I, I think what's interesting is that for – I don't think I ever thought about it in terms of success. I And it may, it may sort of be actually synonyms here. I think I thought about it in terms of safety. Okay. It was just – I was always saying I'm not safe enough yet. Like I'm not – I haven't truly established myself yet. I'm not – 
nobody, maybe it is success. It's just another word for it. Cause I was going to say something about that. Nobody thinks I'm any good yet, but I, I think I associate that safety with success and sort of vice versa. And that somehow there's this sense of, of I am okay and I'm going to continue to be okay. Whether it's financially or professionally or whatever it is, is sort of unclear, but yeah, it's it's just this like I gotta be safe. I have to go be safe. I'm like a little bunny. I'm eating, but like every time I put my head down, I can eat by a hawk. I don't know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what it will be the hawk in this case? Oh, that's like something my therapist would ask. Good job. Oh, I'm Renato. sorry about that. No, no, no. It's good. It's really good. <laughs> it's it's for free though. You know? it's good tape. But, but I just I could just imagine my my dear therapist Louis being like. Let's just stay with that. What is that? You know, he always has those things. So I think I think the hawk is. I think the hawk is being rejected by the entire world. <laughs> if I'm honest, I think the hawk is everybody waking up one day and being like, Oh, Miranda's actually an untalented piece of shit, and we didn't realize it. Now, no one has to love her. <laughs> wow. That's, that's crazy, though. <laughs> Jeez. But that's really, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the worry, I think, is that, is, and I think it's a really deep worry that, most humans have on some level, unless they're sociopaths, is that is is that I will not be loved and I won't love well. And and that expands beyond our our little inner tribe, but to to the world when you've got a platform that anyone in, in the world can listen to with internet connection. Yeah. I actually I actually heard Let's see if I can tell this story in a more anonymous way that no one will know who the players are, but at one point, somebody told me about something that someone else had said about me on the podcast, that it was like a negative, they got a negative impression of who I was because of the podcast. And I just was like, you have to tell me who this third party is because I need to find them and make them love me. Like it was it was like, I was like, I couldn't let it go, you know? Wow. They didn't want to tell me, right? But I just was like, I was like, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter that we have nearly three quarters of a million downloads of people who have come back and chose to listen to what we make. There's one person who thinks I sound stuck up. They, I need to find them and I will make them love me. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was mostly kidding. I yeah. Was, Three quarters uh, of a percent kidding. <laughs> no, but I, but I think I, I think I understand exactly what you mean, though. It's mm -hmm. kind of like in a classroom, right? You have 20, 30 students, 29 of them are amazing. And then there is this one mm -hmm. kid that you cannot get it. And it's like you focus all your energy yeah. on that particular one. Like, I'm yeah. going to make you love you. You need to love this thing. Like, what's going yeah. on? Because it's kind of like reflecting of what is wrong. What am I doing wrong? To not make you see what other people is saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. My my dad plays the saxophone and has always had a love for jazz music and jazz musicians. And I remember he told me a story once, and I'm not I'm not going to remember which jazz great it was, but there was some jazz great who playing in these small clubs in sort of mid century 1950s jazz. And if he saw one person in the room who wasn't engaged, who wasn't energetically there, he would just focus in on them and like, I'm going to, that's the one, like, that's the person I need to get off. Right. And would the whole set would be <laughs> like, I'm going to play something so hot that this person has to, has to join the crowd. And, and so I think it's, there's something about it. So it's students or audience or whatever it is where, that person can become the fly in the ointment, right? Mm -hmm. Of yeah. your creative process. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So in this case, I mean, now that we have the opportunity to talk a little bit about the past, about what is happening right now, what about the future, Miranda? What's going to happen with Hello, Print Friend? What yeah. do you have in mind? What would you like to do? So... 
I am about to leave Santa Fe, as I mentioned. And so I'm going to be moving to Alfred, New York, which is not close to a lot of things. It's two hours from Buffalo, an hour from Rochester, but I'm going to be working at Alfred University there. Yeah. As a staff, not faculty, but I'll be running essentially a residency program there that they have. it's, It's called the Institute for Electronic Arts and it does lots of things within the school. But one of the things is, is it brings artists in throughout the course of the year to come for a week or two and use the incredible equipment and facilities that are available through through Alfred. And I had a lot of people ask me when I announced it on my my personal socials, you know, you're going to keep doing the podcast. And first and foremost, yes, absolutely. And I think that I think that the podcast as a practice was part of the appeal in hiring me in this position because it's a as the name suggests, it's an institute that has really amazing printmaking facilities and really amazing electronic and expanded media facilities. And people come in and they they can weave in and out of both. You can use the different equipment in different ways, digital printing and laser cut and all this sort of thing. And then including all the the, the very fancy expanded media software and 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 hardware. And so I think the podcast, in a way, fits into that model And that I'm talking to people who are using printmaking, but I'm using digital technologies to, to capture their stories. So I'm excited for how the exposure to that environment will inform how I do the podcast. I'm excited for the potential for interviewing really big name people coming through. I mean, they've had Anne Hamilton and Kiki Smith come through that residency. So one of the things that I I really appreciate about what we do is that we have people who are just starting out, maybe just finished their undergrad and they're doing really great things and they get to come on the podcast. And then we have Swoon sometimes on the podcast. So I think that that's something I'd want to continue. I would never want it to turn into a famous is only, but I do think that a lot of times people who have lived the creative life that long and that intensely do have wonderful things to bring. So I'd I'd love to see the ways in which that intersects and, and how it just inspires and changes me because everything we do becomes the water we swim in and we don't really know how it will do that. Mm -hmm. I would love, and this is something that I'm really hoping will happen with the brain power I get freed up because right now I am working four jobs <laughs> and this will be this job and the podcast will be the only things I'd love to expand more on the video work that you've been doing and, and collaborate on something like that because it's such a fun and dynamic form of storytelling that I've experimented with a little bit in I've done some live walkthroughs at the IFPDA or at Print Austin. And I think that that is the next natural step for what we're doing as well. And again, keeping the podcast, because as we spoke to, it has incredible mm-hmm. qualities that you don't get in video, but just exploring a new format, a new way to tell stories I think would be great. And I'd love, I'd love to collaborate more in what we do because I respect you and what you do so much. And I feel like sometimes we're, we're like two racehorses running side by side, but not even in a competitive way though, but like two racehorses in a chariot and the chariot. No, this is a bad metaphor. Okay. We're, um, (laughs) We're two fish swimming. I don't know. And like we, we, we both, we, we work side by side and we communicate, but like I'd love to see what happens more when we join forces because I think we've, we've been doing something so similar and, and we can Captain Planet. That's the metaphor I want. Our powers combined. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With the power of the rain. And also we need to, should give a shout out to Elizabeth too, which is yeah. the team, right? Yeah, our wonderful accessibility coordinator, Elizabeth, who uh, creates the transcripts, which is just huge for 
accessibility in terms of print friends who are who are deaf or partially deaf we incredible for research for all of it for expanding the archive and mm. i think maybe yeah to to circle back i thought of one more thing that i would love for the future of the podcast which is i think that we we need to find a home for it we need to find an institutional home for it and we need to find a university or a museum who will keep the archive and do that digital work of letting it be broadly accessible to researchers and shepherding it through technological changes after we're dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it just goes into this database that people can just mm -hmm. go into and use it for research purposes. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, Like, are we going to keep paying SoundCloud $200 a year to store everything until we're 70? Probably not. SoundCloud is already out of date. I like start, it was like the only option when I started the podcast five years ago. And like, now there's so many better ones, but I don't know how to transfer it without like losing a bunch of stuff. So it's, it's already looking a little clunky as an archive. And we do, we do back things up on Google drives and external hard drives and that kind of thing. But The, I think what we've created represents years of work and is a incredible snapshot of printmaking in the early 21st century and printmaking through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, specifically, we specifically, yeah, specifically that hopefully won't will will move into the realm of novelty and won't be so common that we're like, oh. Mm -hmm. that's not that's not interesting that's all the time but yeah I, and so I, I really would love I, I think a university setting would be the most appropriate looking at you University of Wisconsin-Madison and and you know even if it's just the first 300 episodes or something mm -hmm. you know when, like any any kind of I mean ideally it would be from the beginning until the end of, of when, when we all finally decide it's, it's run its course. But even if it was just a big chunk of it, I think it would go a long way towards preserving what you and I have created and, and really seeing it as an art historical document that it is. Yeah. Well, that would be amazing though. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. And also um, I know the, Tim mentioned something about, I mean, potential, I mean, dreaming about making a printed book, right? The, yeah. That will have the, I don't know, the first 100 or 200 interviews on it. That would be beautiful and amazing. So, yeah, yeah let's, that, start, let's start uh, mentioning those things in, so they can materialize in the future. Totally. Sure. Yeah. The, the Hello Print Friend coffee table book. Um, There you go. Yeah, we, we've we've definitely talked about doing that and and wanting to do that, and I I think it would do well, honestly, if it just was sort of the just a little highlight of each artist, and those sorts of things exist. I have a book here that's literally just called Santa Fe Etchers. That's all it is. Just Etchers who live in Santa Fe. That's one medium, one town, you know? <laughs> so there's a there's a an audience for it and I think uh would be a market for it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's that's amazing. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. I feel that even when we do we collaborate for the same under the same umbrella, right? I sometimes wish like we had more time to talk. Mm -hmm. And I feel that this experience for these hours have been great because I get to know you a little bit more too about all the process and your journey. And the same with Timothy and the same with Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. We actually met in person like two years ago. They're collaborating for like more, which was <laughs> like one of those things the internet can provide you. Mm -hmm. And also I, I I'm just going to take this opportunity to thank you for the, for the chance to become part of this team. I was listening to the podcast before I got invited to be part of, and it was just such a surprise and joy 
because the weeks before you reach out to me, I was talking to to my wife Ashley. Ben and I started making the Ben Munoz and I started making these interviews on Instagram just during the pandemic because we didn't have anything else to do. And I was just kind of like going for a walk with her and I was just thinking like, wow, that would be really amazing to do. Like imagine what Miranda does. Like if I could do something like that, it would be amazing. And then somehow two weeks later, you reach out to me and tell me, do you want to do this thing? Oh my God, so, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so it was really great. And I appreciate the opportunity and I, and also the chance to try things, right? Like, to try the video stuff, potentially do more collaborations. I yeah. just see this continue to grow um, and it's really exciting because yeah. there is so many other stories to tell. Mm. Just as you say. So Absolutely. thank you for that. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, thank you so much for accepting and bringing like everything you do to the podcast. It, it Even though, as you said, we don't, get to even talk that much because we're insanely busy and and have lives and and that sort of thing. I I always feel less alone just knowing that you're, you're somewhere in the same trials and tribulations that I am in the process. So yeah, thank you for everything you've, you've brought. And yeah, it was no, it was no question. I talked to you once and I was like, oh, if he wants to, he needs to do this full time, you know, I just could tell that, yeah, you've, you've got such a wonderful energy and positivity and natural ease that is unusual in a person. So thank you for being you. And thank you for doing this podcast with me. No problem. It's my pleasure. And I hope that more people get a chance to, to learn the Spanish or practice the Spanish with the Hello from Friend version that we do on the other part. I get messages uh, saying that people that they do or they mm. like they grew up in maybe a bilingual Spanish English household and so they know a lot of Spanish but no art Spanish. And mm. so they they have enough to really dive in and then they get to learn how to dialogue about creative practice in Spanish when before they that just wasn't a part of what was the Spanish they grew up with. I mean it's I think it's yeah. Mm. I hear all the time people use it to 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 practice a compliment to their duolingo you know yeah no, i agree with you because it's been great for me all my training i got it in english right um, so it's been amazing to be able to understand or get to know the the translation to mm-hmm. all these different techniques and tools and materials yeah. and they change depending on the country too I was so gonna that's ask. Also yeah. beautiful yeah especially in chile and in mexico they call different things differently mm-hmm. so it's always it's always beautiful so it's being a trade so let's see we we have the one hour mark <laughs> <laughs> we do we do yeah. yeah how should how shall we wrap up episode 200 <laughs> <laughs> What is the what is what you say, Shandana of believers? Yeah, yeah. That was like the very early there's a very early slogan of the podcast. And maybe maybe a good way to wrap up would to would be to talk about it because it actually had a, a sort of philosophical underpinning of my beginning this, which was I'd been in the print world for a long time at that point and I'd worked historically and contemporarily and galleries and in museums and And one of the things that was a theme is no matter where I worked or who I worked with, not everybody, but it would, it would come up this idea of, well, nobody understands printmaking and we're not, we're not let into the important rooms and we're not appreciated as we should be. And I just got this sense of like, why are we asking for anyone else's approval? Why are we wanting to be in these clubs that don't give a fig for us? Like, don't you realize how great everyone is who's here? Like, we don't need them. <laughs> and and so that's, I think, where Shun the Nonbelievers came from, was this idea of we already have everything we need right here. We already have the best people I've ever met. And let's just get those stories out there. I love it. 
Perfect. We did good. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, so um, follow Miranda, Hello Print Friend, oh, on yeah. Instagram for the amazing print influencer that she is. And also check out the videos that we have been putting together on the YouTube channel for Hello Print Friend, too. And you and can also you, yeah. see those on the website at uh, helloprintfriend.com. They're just right there under the video tab. And follow Rinaldo at RGZ Prince. Is that your handle? Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, I tag you at least once a week. You think I know it by now. But, but yeah, RGZ Prince. And, and maybe, yeah, it would be good to just thank everyone who ever listened to this or shared this or sent us a nice note because I mean, I'd like to think I'd keep doing it if nobody was listening. Probably wouldn't though. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a lot harder. It would be a lot harder to keep shouting into the void. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Thanks for all the guests and and everyone who listens because it's, that's really what makes it what it is, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, and thank you for those of you who get a little bit afraid when we reach out to you. You think that we're scamming you <laughs> and you don't reply anymore. But <laughs> uh, we hope that eventually you come around and tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To all those people out there who just ghosted me, I'm still here. No hard feeling. <laughs> Well, that, professionally, that's, not romantically. I've got, I've got all the hard feelings romantically. Still. Yeah, right. It's just so funny. Like that sense of resilience too. Like for rejection that you mm-hmm. do as an artist, but also that happens in the podcast. Yeah. So, but yeah, no. Thank you. Well, what you say for those beautiful messages. People who decide to listen to us when they are alone in their studios working. Mm-hmm. So appreciate that a lot. Much love to you guys. Gracias yeah. totales. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you all. If you like today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content. Like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Mike Schultz. Mike is an artist and printmaker currently getting his MFA at Alfred University. We talk about his early passion for art and how this fell off as addiction began to take over more and more of his life. Getting sober and going through the journey to reconnect with making, teaching art on the Thai-Burmese border, and what brings him back to art school now, years after his BFA. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Thank you.